Welcome to the third episode of the All About Beer podcast. I'm M. Sauter, better known as Pints and Panels. And I'm Don Tess, better known as the Dawn of Beer. Every two weeks, we talk with leading experts and take a deep dive into one topic about beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you're feeling generous or just love us, uh, think about donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. This week on the show, we're going to talk about Kvike, uh, the yeast strain that is changing the game when it comes to brewing. But uh, Kvike's actually been around for a long time. So we'll be talking to head brewer Lily Schultz and Dr. Richard Priest. Have you had a Kvike beer, Don? And I'm pronouncing it correctly, right? It's Kvike. I know we're, I think we'll talk about it then, but I just <laughs> yeah. want to make sure I've heard it done a lot of different ways. Yeah, there, there's an episode of The Simpsons where the alien says that to pronounce his name correctly, you would have to pull out your tongue. And I think that uh, Kvike is sort of like that. But yes, I've had dozens of Kvike beers. I actually love them. And uh, I think that a lot of people who don't like Kvike or say they don't like Kvike will be surprised to learn that they've probably unknowingly had some beers fermented by Kvike. Because um, there's lots of cool things happening with Kvike, and we'll obviously find out about them. I'm really excited about this. So we'll introduce our guests and get into a conversation. But first, we're going to take a moment to hear from our sponsors of the show. And if you would like to help support the All About Beer podcast, reach out to podcast at allaboutbeer.com. This show is brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Athletic Brewing Company's award-winning craft non-alcoholic beers are fit for all times, downtime, work time, game time, even gym time. Pick a time and grab an athletic because it's about time you could enjoy a great tasting brew anytime you want, even right now. Head to athleticbrewing.com and get some fresh brews delivered. New customers can even get 20% off with code ALLABOUTBEER20 and free shipping on two six-packs or more. Hi, this is John Hall, the editor of All About Beer, inviting you to check out the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast. It's available on all of the major platforms, and the weekly show features long-form conversations with brewers, growers, and personalities from the beer industry. New episodes release every Wednesday. Just search Drink Beer, Think Beer. The first scientific paper ever published about Kvike was written by Escarpment Laboratories of Guelph, Ontario. Escarpment was co-founded by Richard Priest, a graduate of the Department of Molecular and Cellular Biology at the University of Guelph. Richard is an active brewing scientist and longtime home brewer. At Escarpment, Richard focuses on translating scientific research into new products and knowledge for brewers by bridging the gap between theory in the laboratory and practice in the brewery. Our second guest is Ripe Proper's Shaw Brew Pub's head brewer, Lily Schultz, who grew up in Fort Collins, Colorado, and started homebrewing with her father after she graduated from high school. After college in D.C., she attempted the office job life, but found working as a bartender way more rewarding. After a few years working for a brewery in Maryland, in many capacities that ultimately had her on the brew deck, Lily was hired as the lead brewer at Ripe Proper's Brew Pub. She works on a five-barrel system, brewing many of her own recipes. She is also the co-leader for the DC Pink Boots chapter and received a scholarship from Pink Boots Society to go to the Haas Hop Academy last September in Yakima, Washington. All right, welcome Richard and Lily. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. How about you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, how about you, Richard? Good? Doing great. Always. Lovely. I'm ready to talk about some yeast. How about you guys? Always. Always. Cool. Perfect. Richard, Perfect. Richard always wants to talk about Well, that's his, that's true. <laughs> well, I'm sure Lily wants to. I mean, it's part of the being yes. a head brewer is yeast vitality, whatnot. Uh, my first question, actually, I want to start about talking about it's Kvike, right? I We were going to discuss how to pronounce it. It's Kvike. How does everyone say it? I say Kvike like Viking. It's how I associate. Oh, that's good. Smart. It's a, I mean, even in Norway, you hear people say it a little differently. It's a softer V, but I'm not going to judge anyone. So it's okay. like closer to like Kvike. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Oh. You might hear people say Kvike. Like, I don't know. There's different ways of saying it. Well, we're all on the same page. So that's just fine. Don't say, just don't say Kvik and you're good. Got it. Got okay. it. Don, don't do it. Okay. <laughs> English isn't my first language. So please forgive me. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> um, 
So I guess my first question uh, is for Lily is when did when was the first time you started using Quike and like what were your thoughts about it? Were you jazz? Were you like, what the heck is this? What what were what was your first experience with it? Uh, yeah, last summer was the first time I used it. Um, I used the Horn and Doll strain. Um, our yeast supplier is Jasper Yeast. So uh, they're sample of that. Um, and you put it in a double IPA and I was blown away. I love it. It's amazing to work with. Why do you love it so much? Like what, what, what makes it so great? I mean, I've heard a lot of really great advantages. I just, I'm not a brewer. Um, I was actually telling Don before the show, I've only had a few beers, I believe with Kvike. So my experience is quite limited. So I'm leaning on you all uh, pretty hard to teach me uh, here. Um, well, especially with, I mean, kvikes can be used in any beer style. Uh, traditionally, it was used in the farmhouse Norwegian styles, but um, I really like using it with the hazy IPAs um, because it creates such a, like there's already the biotransformation between hops and yeast that exists whenever you do a hoppy beer. Um, but when you combine it with uh, such a fruity profile of yeast, and like fruity hot flavors it's just in a flavor explosion like in my mind um there's a lot of potential there to create some really cool flavors uh yeah so that's why i really enjoy it that's really cool i yeah i'm i'm blown away by learning the more and more i read about kvike uh maybe richard you can answer this the more and more i learned about it the more it was like can this thing do anything wrong because the advantages that I saw was you use less, you can ferment it warmer, you can, um, it's a quicker fermentation. So, I mean, Richard, what are other advantages to this Kvikis? Because I'm, I don't see any disadvantages, but there has to be some, correct? <laughs> I mean, oh, for sure. And, and, you know, there are some Kvik doubters that will be very quick to tell you the disadvantages. You know, they exist. I'm, uh, I'm very aware. That's okay. That's fine. Um, but there are some really cool advantages. I mean, number one is that this is a whole family of yeast that was obscure. Basically, no one knew about it until about six or seven years ago. And now um, brewers have access to basically this whole family of yeast, which opens up a lot of uh, potential because they are unique in terms of what they can do, both both just in terms of their um, you know handling in the brewery, but also in terms of the flavors they make. Um, so that's really exciting. So, you know, in addition to some of the flavors and in addition to uh, some of the, um, you know, opportunities with pitch rates and uh, temperatures is, you know, one other thing that's really, I think, important, especially in the brewery side is turnaround time too. So they can also ferment quite quickly um, with relatively minimal um, of the kind of conventional brewing yeast off flavors like diacetyl. So that's another potential advantage of Quike. I'm going to be, you know, the first one to say you can't use it in every single beer. You know, you're never going to be able to make a fully authentic Czech pills with Quike. Um, and, uh, you know, you do have to try to match the yeast to the beer you're making. And, you know, from our side, some of the challenges we've seen has been helping people with just adapting. Maybe it's a hazy IPA recipe over to Kvike because it, the yeast is just going to do slightly different things than the, you know, maybe the London Ale 3 that everyone's usually using. So sometimes there's a little bit of um, training wheels needed to, um, you know, help people make that leap or help, you know, convert things over and get it working really, really well with Kvike. Like maybe it doesn't work perfectly the first time. So, so Richard, you mentioned that, that, you know, it's kind of come onto the brewing scene here in the last six or seven years, but, but Kvike is, you know, hundreds of years old, right? So how, how is it that in, you know, in 2022, or I guess 2015 was seven years ago, we're still discovering these, like, where, where does it come from? Where did it, how did it come to be that this hundreds of year old uh, uh, yeast family all of a sudden bursts onto the scene? Yeah, it's kind of a cool story. I mean, Kvike comes from traditional brewing in Western Norway. That's just their word for yeast. Um, and it's been kept alive for a really, really long time, partially just because of how remote um, people are out there and, you know, have relatively little influence from the outside world. You know, they kind of had to fend for themselves for a really long time and be self-sufficient. And that meant that they were able to keep some of these more obscure traditions like 
farmhouse brewing alive. Um, and that's essentially how we got Kvike is people kept making traditional beer with the traditional yeast and um, it didn't, you know, die out because more convenient yeast and stuff like that became available. So, you know, way back when there would have been these kinds of things basically all over Europe, um, but with industrial brewing kind of taking over and being more convenient, uh, a lot of that died out. But luckily there's pockets in, in Europe, including in Western Norway, where um, traditional brewing practices survived. And in some places the yeast survived and Kvike is a result of that. In terms of why we only found out about it more recently, I think it really took the internet um, and blogs and Facebook and things like that. So we had um, a beer writer, Lars Garshall, who's he's like the guy about farmhouse brewing. Uh, he's, he's really the source of knowledge of a lot of this stuff. Started writing about it and sharing pictures. And I think that's really what captivated a lot of people to get interested in what's going on in Norway and get curious about these um, mythical super yeasts and start experimenting with them. And it really kind of just took off from there. I, I, I guess I'm just kind of curious. Sorry. Uh, no, no. I, I, I just want to say mythical super yeast is uh, the best <laughs> band name I've ever heard or um, a beer name. So or, I think or, or should... Richard could use it for, for a strain, oh, actually. Mythical super true. yeast. There you go, Richard. I, li I like the band idea. I'll take that. <laughs> um, I, I guess I, I, I think of 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 brewers is obviously and and lily can confirm this of course they're lily uh, brewers are always trying to uh, improve their processes and everything and and as em was saying kvike sounds so amazingly beneficial uh high temperature quick ferments and everything like how is it how is it that this was almost lost like that it's been I, I'm not articulating my question very well. Like I, I find it so hard to believe that this unbelievably great brewing ingredient could be undiscovered. Well, not not undiscovered because we knew about it, or at least Norwegians knew about it. How is it? How is it that it's taken this long for brewers to discover it? I think we had to reach a certain point in like willingness to experiment in craft beer as well. Um, I think, you know, especially when we look at the last few years, there's been an incredibly strong willingness by craft breweries to experiment with new things and also a lot more competition. There's a lot more breweries, right? So everyone's competing to, you know, bring something new to the table. So I think it, it did require that. And even on like the homebrew side, there was a much higher, I would say, you know, uh, as time has gone on, there's been more, more interest in experimenting and, you know, trying all the crazy things. So I think that that's part of why it took so long for Kvike to really take off. And again, it's like, this was relatively obscure. I would say that there probably weren't a lot of people going out and looking for, you know, traditional beers in the middle of nowhere in Western Norway, right? It did take some people to actually um, talk about it and write about it in English, share pictures and get people excited. That's the most fascinating thing about beer is that it is, Don's right, it's 2022. And just now we're learning about all these different things that are really changing our way of brewing and brewing process for the better. Um, I think that's really cool. And I, I mean, like, there's got to be so many undiscussed. It's like discuss. It's like, like not Christopher Columbus. He's a terrible example. <laughs> think of a nicer, a nicer explorer. Uh, are there nice explorers? I don't think there are actually. Uh, I'm Musk. sure there were. Oh, just <laughs> no, boo, get out of here. Um, we're like, I mean, yeah, like astronauts going to the moon, discovering new things. And there's so many things in the beer world, just in our own backyards um, that are really, really fascinating. Um, I guess my next question would be for Lily, which would be like, if it's so great, would write proper just be like, we're going to brew everything with Kvike? Or is that just, that's just, or is that just crazy talk? Um, well, like Richard said, you can't brew a lager like with this. Um, but so, why not? Well, uh, <laughs> lagers have very distinctive flavor profiles that I think are more driven from the yeast. Um, you couldn't brew a saison with this, you know. Like, there's some distinct styles of beer that this does not lean itself to. Um, I think in the ale category, you definitely have a lot of potential, but it really just depends on the flavor profile you want to go with. Um, I've done, like I said, hazy IPAs. Um, we've also done a blonde ale. Uh, and I think we've also just done like just another ale. I forget what in there a little bit. 
Does this, um, does the yeah. yeast create any kind of, because it's the same, it's sex, it's sexy. So it's regular ale yeast, but does it create any kind of flavor? I my So I get my limited scope of Kvike is I was at GABF with Stan Hieronymus, the beer writer, and I had a Kvike pale ale. And to me, it tasted like, and this is, I meant this, I mean this in the best way possible. It was like a dirt. It was like minerally. It was, Earthy. it was, it was earthy. That's the nicer. Yeah. Dirt sounds so, uh, <laughs> sounds so rough. Uh, it was really earthy and I don't know. And then now that I'm, I thought, oh, that's the yeast. That's the, because in my head it was a style and that's, it's not a style. It's a strain of yeast or it, it part can make any most styles for the most part, not all. But um, it's, I don't know the point of my story here, but <laughs> the thing is, I just find that it has so many uses and what Don was talking about too, this is a great point, was the climate aspect of it. Lily, when you brew, do you find that your tanks get warmer because you're from What's their fermentation temp for a hazy IPA and you're like, how long are you from you know, putting in, in the fermenter to finish? How long is it in there and what's your firm temp? Yeah, so um, like a normal ale strain, you'd ferment at like 68, 70 degrees. With Kvikis, uh, I ferment at 85 to 100 degrees. Um, usually I like the 90 degree range um, most. Uh, it's, it puts off the higher temperatures you ferment it at. It puts off a lot more fruity esters. Um, so more trop, like with the Hornendal strain, more tropical forward um, fruitiness. Um, but with uh, the Arsit strain, I think it's more like pear, and um, then the Voss strain is more like citrus, tangerine. Uh, and those are the ones I've worked with. Um, but all of them put off different fruity esters that really come out more presently when um, it's at a higher temperature. Uh, most people ferment at like yeah, 90 to 100 degrees. But if you ferment lower at like a traditional ale temperature, um, that they'll just be more muted. Not that they'll go away, but the esters will just, um, they're not as pronounced. So for the beer styles I'm wanting, um, and I want that flavor profile, that's why I'm fermenting so hot. And that's and what it's traditionally done too. Yeah. And how long is it in the tank for? Um, turnaround time is probably less than a week. It's really, really quick. Um, from pitching, it, I'm dry hopping within within a week, like five days, and then um, crashing a few days later. Yeah. Have you, I guess my next question is: Have you noticed customers be like, "I can taste the kvike," or is it just they don't know, or you know, like I I mean I don't I don't you know to be honest I don't know if if you put two ales in for like if there was one with a traditional like London three versus kvike I don't know if I'd be able to tell the difference. Um, do customers go, oh, I can taste this? Um, because if they can't, then would you make all of these beers? Because, I mean, it just seems like there's so much money to be made, right? Like you're you're doing it in half the time. You're using less yeast. Less glycol. Seemed, I, yeah, less glycol. And you're, it's more, it's more, it just seems like a better, better all around. And if customers can't tell, and if they like it more because they're looking for that fruit, um, at least I in the lower bitterness, that's, it seems like kind of a home run uh, and, and really exciting. Yeah, I, I don't know so much from the customer side. I'm not customer facing working in the brewery, but um, talking to our staff, they love it. So, and they're the people who interact with um, our customers. So if anything that our staff is jazzed about, then like, I feel like that's, they're only going to sell it better and they're going to communicate better to um, our customers. And so, yeah, I definitely think like they can tell when I have made an IPA without it and an IPA with it. And they, they personally prefer the Kvike and so do I. Um, it just, it's so flavorful and it does maintain such strong haze stability. And so for that style, it works really well. Um, same with the Blondale. It's super, like, again, super fruity and fun with that. Uh, Lily, have you... Have you tried to reproduce an existing recipe by swapping out the yeast and trying trying to reproduce the, the recipe for purely economic reasons, like that you could ferment it quicker, but you're 
you're actually not trying to change the flavor? Um, no, not. So what I do, I'm a, the leaper at the brew pub. So I don't really make consistent styles of beer. Um, everything I do is more or less a runoff, one-off. Um, so that's not really my focus area. I would be curious to see from a production standpoint um, what happens. We're actually doing this at our other facility, the production facility. We make um, an IPA uh, called Beer No Art, and we are changing the yeast in this one um, to the uh, Kvike strain. Um, so I will report, I can report back on that and see what okay. awesome. our um, <laughs> flavor profile is. Yeah, that's, they're brewing it today, actually. So what time um. is it? <laughs> Richard, have, do you maybe have some experience with some of your clients as to, you know, switching out, yeah. switching a non-Kvik strain for a Kvik strain? I keep saying Kvik, Kvik, um, yeah. switching out for a Kvik strain and, and having success with that? Yeah, um, there are a few larger production breweries that are using Kvik for, or even smaller breweries that are using Kvik just for those operational um, advantages. Um, so that's kind of one category of things is just trying to swap out a different strain, um, using a bike. And the cool thing is there's so many different bike strains that it's often possible to find something that's pretty close or complements that, that beer, whatever it is, it's flavor profile. Um, so that is, that is a possibility. The other cool thing that we've seen is there's a lot of breweries that have created new brands just through leveraging what like can do, whether that's in terms of the flavor or whether that's in terms of the turnaround time. So people that are creating new brands where maybe they can price it in a way that makes it more competitive um, or market it in a way, right? This is a new ingredient. It's something that can get the uh, comparatively new <laughs> ingredient, something that can get the consumers excited. So we see a lot of that too, of breweries building brands around the yeast. Cool. That's, I want to talk about that. Um, but first we're going to take a short commercial break to hear a word from our sponsor. This show is brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Athletic Brewing Company's award-winning craft non-alcoholic beers are fit for all times, downtime, work time, game time, even gym time. Pick a time and grab an athletic because it's about time you could enjoy a great tasting brew anytime you want, even right now. Head to athleticbrewing.com and get some fresh brews delivered. New customers can even get 20% off with code ALLABOUTBEER20 and free shipping on two six-packs or more. Hi, this is John Hall, the editor of All About Beer, inviting you to check out the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast. It's available on all of the major platforms, and the weekly show features long-form conversations with brewers, growers, and personalities from the beer industry. New episodes release every Wednesday. Just search Drink Beer, Think Beer. All right, and we're back. So I want to talk a little bit about, I didn't know there were different strains. I just thought there was one Kvike strain that everyone used, came from that crazy looking ring thing that I've seen on the internet. Um, Richard, can you talk a little bit about, I know Lily mentioned it briefly, but a little bit about the different strains um, and like what flavors they, um, they, uh, they put out. Yeah, that's something really important to clarify is it's not just one strain of yeast. It's actually a whole family. So just like we have, you know, a bunch of different types of English yeasts and a bunch of different types of Belgian yeast, it's the exact same thing with Kvike. It's a whole family. So you don't just have one, right? You have a bunch of different strains that have different characteristics. Um, so just as I know Lily talked a bit about Voss and Arsit and Hornendal, um, and I would agree with those descriptions across the board. There's other ones too. Um, you know, we have more than 50 original cultures in our bank. And, you know, even in one bike, you might have 12 or 15 different strains of yeast in there. So there's a huge amount of diversity and we found some interesting ones. Um, one of our favorites is called Lairdal, um, and it's a strain that um, ferments a lot like the, uh, the London three that everyone's using for the hazies, but it has a lot more of that really nice pineapple ester. So that's become really popular for those kinds of beers. Um, we have another one that, well, we call it crispy cause it's clean. Um, but you know, that, that's one that can be used for cleaner beers, um, even, even at slightly higher temperatures. So if you're making something that's like a cream ale or a Kolsch or a light lager, it's great for that kind of application because it's clean. And maybe you don't want like raging pineapple esters all the time. 
Again, cool. Rage, Raging Pineapple Esters is a great name for a band. Um, I'm just going to... Um, small follow-up for Lily. When you use these yeasts, do you find you're hopping less because you're getting a lot of flavor from the yeast? Um, not necessarily. I think my dry hop rates are... I'm actually starting to increase them a little bit more um, just because that's separately um, experimenting with that. Um, but no, I think it's... Uh, I don't think that it really changes too much um, in that capacity. Okay. Is there potential there though? I, I, I do think that that's kind of an interesting, or, or Richard, maybe do you, are you aware of anybody who said, oh, I'm saving money on, on hops now? I mean, we've tried to sell brewers on the idea of reducing their hop usage through yeast, but even with the yeasts that enhance hop aroma, I think they just want more and more. So they'll use the same amount of hops and just get the yeast to do a little bit more heavy lifting, but yeah, you right. can get more impact by choosing the right yeast. And there are some bikes that are, um, really, really complement um, hop aromas really well, like Hornendal and Epigarden. Okay, cool. Everybody wants their hops. But yeah. It's hard to convince brewers just to, to put less hops in the beer for, for some reason. <laughs> um, so can we talk about, you know, I know Richard, you do a lot of, um, hybridization and other lab techniques. Like what's the future look like it? Like you say, you know, we've only been playing with these yeast for six or seven years. So what does, what does Kvike look like 10 years from now? <laughs> There's kind of two sides to it. So like, number one is because these are so recently discovered and, you know, applied in new contexts, we're still learning a lot. Like we're still learning how to handle these yeasts and, and how to make them, um, behave sort of to put it that way. Um, there's still been a lot to learn and I think that's going to help us to work with them a lot better just by doing the research and understanding, you know, what flavors do we get at what temperatures, pitch rates, all of that, you know, important nitty gritty stuff. But then on the other side, I think there's a lot of potential to, to work with Kvike as a platform to develop new brewing yeasts. Um, so there's lots of different ways that that can be approached. But one example might be hybridizing a Kvike with a conventional yeast to get something that's somewhere in between, because, you know, something we have learned is that there are a lot of, uh, Kvike doubters out there and maybe they don't like the specific flavor of a specific strain, but I think that everyone would want to be able to ferment, ferment, uh, warmer, faster, um, turn around their beers, um, you know, with more efficiency. So I, I see a lot of potential for, for example, breeding Kvike with some of the conventional ale strains and producing something that meets in the middle and offers some of those advantages, but isn't, you know, too, too far off what people are, you know, typically using for their beers. There's also, I think, because there's a lot of interesting outliers within all of these different Kvike strains, there's some opportunity for us to really expand what brewing yeast is capable of, you know, in terms of temperature or in terms of flavors. So, um, you know, working with those strains, whether that's through, you know, understanding the genetics and being able to engineer that into other strains in the future or something more natural like crossbreeding. It's a lot of potential to create an um, next generation yeasts and, um, you know, help, help brewers hit their targets. Cool. Does it, I have a question. Does it have to be when like Lily, when you're using it, does it, does Kvike have to be, is it more temperamental? Do you have to facilitate your brew house in a different way or is it easier to use? Um, how, how is it compared to, let's say your normal ale yeast in terms of process? Um, I think it's the same really, um, depending on what style of beer you're brewing and how you have to adapt, like your mash temperature or whatever for that um it seems pretty resilient and i mean it's the, the test of time at this point for a reason um so it's definitely yeah there isn't like a ton of um changes i need to be making is there a style you'd want to use it with that you haven't done that you're because since you do a lot of one-offs what are you like itching to do with it if, if you could do anything oh i'd be curious to see what how it plays with more like roasted malts um going darker with it just to like i don't know maybe like a tropical stout would be just an interesting oh concept yes. um but i don't know how well that would sell so <laughs> it could be not great <laughs> but it could be fun don donna have you ever had a dark um Kvike I'm, stout have you ever had no i'm i'm trying hey. to think if i i don't think i have and i'm now i'm all excited for this 
you can make a pretty good stout with Hornendal. I wouldn't go as hot on the fermentation temp just to keep the esters in check. But if you ferment around like 75 Fahrenheit, you can get some really nice results. That's just a, just a hint. Ooh. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> this is awesome. Now, how am I going to get to taste this beer though? I got to figure that out. Okay. You're going to have to come to, we'll go to DC and we'll visit. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. All right, let's see. What other questions do we have to ask? Um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. I'm so, this is so embarrassing. I apologize. Um, um, uh, go ahead, Don. No, I was just going to, you know, <laughs> Richard, do you think that there's any, you know, as we're seeing, it's 2022, malt prices are up, hot prices are up. There's uh, logistics issues. Um, do you see, are there environmental benefits to using Kvike? Absolutely. Like in a lot of ways, like number one is that you can get good fermentation results at higher temperatures than you normally would. So, um, the burden on a glycol system would be a lot less if it has to be kept at, you know, 90 Fahrenheit versus 68. Right. So that's an obvious benefit. Um, it also tends to last longer. Maybe that's not great for us yeast labs, but it tends to last longer if it's stored in between batches as well. Whereas some yeast strains, if you don't use it within a few days, it's all dead. Um, so there's some, some benefits there, um, but really, yeah, reducing those cooling costs and also increasing that throughput. So you're able to get more out of the same amount of equipment. I think in both cases has a lot of potential um, environmental benefits. Uh, okay, then, so flip side, uh, maybe I'll ask Lily, like, what are the limitations of the yeast? Mm, I actually don't know. Oh. Uh, I haven't had any bad things here, so maybe could you ask Richard? Oh. <laughs> we just mentioned that earlier. <laughs> Richard? I mean, I think that Kvike does even, I know that there's a lot of different strains, but it does have some distinctive flavors that, you know, there are some, you know, unfortunately I've heard some people start calling it like like twang or like the like taste. And it's been really, really hard to get those people to define what the heck they're talking about. But there are certainly some flavors that people don't like that might come down to handling as well, which is, you know, again, why I think it's important to make sure that we're also working on how do we actually use these yeasts the best and get the best out of them? Cause maybe, maybe there's, there's some gaps there. Um, but there are some, some limitations. Like one is that it drops the pH more than the average yeast does. So if, if, unless you're really watching the water chemistry and you're mashing, um, sometimes you can end up with a beer that tastes a little bit more acidic or a little bit more tart or thin than a beer with a English ale yeast might just as an example, all of that can be adjusted, but that's sort of speaking to the challenge of, it, it doesn't always work perfectly if you just plug it into your standard recipe. Sometimes you need to make some adjustments and work with it. So that would be one that I would cite is, you know, that um, some of those differences just in, in the fermentation, like in the, the pH drop, um, create some limits to what can be done with it. Um, I've heard, I'm not a brewer, but I've heard as well that that Kvike during the propagation phase really sucks up a lot of nitrogen and, and other nutrients. So, so do brewers have to adjust for that? And, and does that actually cost more money that would negate some of the economic benefits of using Kvike strains? It doesn't really cost more money. You do have to watch the nutrition. It does like having a lot of nitrogen, a lot of oxygen, but um, really that just comes down to malt selection. Um, if you're using any malt from North America, you're probably fine in terms of nutrients already. Um, if you're using like a super light European Pilsner malt, then maybe you want to put in some, some additional nutrition in there. And, you know, in general, a little bit of added yeast nutrients is always a good idea just to kind of hedge your bets against what's in the malt. Um, but I wouldn't say that it would cost any more to work with Kvike than it would any other yeast. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Any other questions, Don? I'm fascinated because I really think that weren't you Don? weren't you mentioning a local brewery in your town that was doing yeah. a loggers 10 days and no one could tell the difference. Yeah. Two, two stories. I'm well, actually three stories. Uh, and I'm not going to say the name of the brewery, but I'm, I'm aware of, of a brewery that, um, 
uh, first of all, changed all of their yeasts, uh, all of their strains to Kvike strains. Um, and uh, nobody seemed to, consumers didn't seem to uh, notice. Uh, so there, there does seem to be a way to get rid of uh, that Kvike tang that, or twang that uh, Richard was, was talking about. Um, and this same brewery, they, they make a lager uh, and they used to, it used to take 42 days from, from mash in to packaging uh, using a traditional lager strain and, you know, the, the long uh, lagering process that that takes. And they switched, they switched to a, uh, a clean Kvike strain and uh, they can now can uh, 10 days after mash in which I just think is, you know, that's one quarter of the time. Uh, and I just think the economics of that is amazing. Um, and then, and then, you know, they, they can actually track that their, their energy use is lower because of the high fermentation temperatures. And, and again, they're using fake strains across the board now. Uh, and so they can, they, they're, they're consistently saving uh, energy costs, which I think is fascinating. That's really cool. Um, is it still a lager then? <laughs> you know, like, I guess as a little bit more of a, I'm still in the traditionalist phase, I guess, of what my brewing career is. Like, I want to make true to styles. Like, I still experiment, but like, what what makes that a lager then? Is it a bottom fermenting Kvike strain or is it not? <laughs> um, Richard, you might be able to speak to this a bit. Um, I'm... Uh, I do think that they continue to market it as a lager, even though they're using a Kvike strain, which I believe all Kvike strains are, are technically uh, Sac C, so they would all be technically uh, ale strains. But I was reading actually just today about um, some laboratories, and maybe Richard, maybe yours is one of them, doing some um, genetic sequencing of various uh, various yeast strains, not just like, and discovering that in fact, a lot of the yeasts that we quote unquote know to be lagers or ales actually aren't, uh, and is really muddying the waters. And I know this is a little bit off topic from our like topic, but Richard, do you, are you aware of any of that or can speak to that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I think in beer, we've um, lived in a pretty binary world, but I think in reality, when you dig into the, you know, the genetics of the yeast and what they're being used for, it's a lot less binary than one would think. So, you know, there's pretty famous loggers that are made with Sac Servicier. There's pretty famous ales that are made with Pastorianus lager yeast. So, you know, the lines are kind of blurry. Um, I'll be the first to kind of fight for lager yeast. I think that they're really special and they do have a unique flavor profile. And that's why, um, you know, making a super traditional lager style with Kvike is hard. It's not impossible. It sounds like the folks you were talking to have figured it out. Um, but it's tricky because like, you know, lager yeast, I think does have some benefits. That being said, if the choice is between turning out a beer in 42 days versus 10 days, and it's, you know, not an uber traditional, you know, German Hellas or something like that, then why not, you know, why not turn it around faster? And I think when we're talking about, you know, yeasts for lager styles, typically what we really mean is, is it clean or not, right? Does it let the other ingredients shine through? Is it producing a ton of esters? Is it producing other, you know, flavors that kind of muddy the waters? And in the case of Kvike, because there's so many different strains out there and so much genetic diversity, we've been able to find strains that do produce objectively clean results and, you know, consequently can produce those very, very clean beers that I think in some cases can pass for loggers. It really depends. It's like, I mean, this is very open for debate as well, but, um, you know, our experience, even just looking at outside of Kvike is that, you know, you don't have to use a lager yeast to make a lager. You don't have to use an ale yeast to make an ale, right? These things can uh, be a little bit more fluid than one might see in the textbooks. So Lily, has Richard convinced you or, or are you still <laughs> skeptical? <laughs> No, it's not that I needed, I mean, yes, I'm convinced. I, I think oh. <laughs> you can, like you can experiment with all of it. Um, and again, it's, it really just depends how it's presenting. It doesn't really matter what's all inside of it um, necessarily. 
but yeah, I just it is fascinating to think about more of the like if you think about like the guidelines for you know winning medals or whatever. It's like does that really matter? Um, like, sorry, my words are a little jumbled. No, but yeah, I do take your point. Like you, uh, you know, I think it's kind of an interesting time to be a brewer. You might disagree with me, Lily, but I think there's so many, you know, beer is thousands, if not tens of thousands of years old. And I love the fact that we're still asking questions, even at this basic level, like ale versus lager, that's still, we, we still have opinions on it. It's not settled, which I think is pretty yeah. cool. Absolutely. That's why I fell in love with it. There's so much to learn. <laughs> So, and there's a lot of, I mind something I say a lot is there's a lot of right answers in beer. So you can brew an ale, you know, we, our first podcast was not to talk about our podcast, but we talked about the cold IPA and people get very mad that it's brewed with lager yeast, uh, but it's called an ale. Um, but then I would argue that a Baltic Porter is made with lager yeast or a tropical stout can be made with lager yeast, uh, warm fermented lager yeast. So there's more esterification. And so it does, there is a little bit of a muddy water, but at the same time, is it delicious? <laughs> Did it taste good? I guess I'm one of those like celebratory people that doesn't, I don't know. I care. I care. It's just, and I, I want to learn more especially with this fight, because it just seems like it's going to change everything uh, in terms of, especially beers that are really popular, like hazies, um, especially where I live in New England. So and that's the thing. I also remember when I said I didn't have one, I've a hundred percent had one. I've got to had one living in New England. Don, I probably, yeah. yeah. Do, do that's, I guess, is labeling it Kvike a selling point? Um, I'm not sure since, like not because it's this isn't really a customer discussion, but I've probably had one and I didn't even know it. Um, is that good? Is that bad? I don't. I don't know. Lily, do you all when you're using a Kvike strain, do you always label the beer as such? Um, I think so. I I do when I'm labeling it to like a hazy Kvike IPA, um, just because I also in one when I go to a place, I want to know what all the things are but i'm also a nerd so um <laughs> i'm i'm also okay. you're among nerds here <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah. i think uh, earlier lily you mentioned that uh at the production brewery they they were experimenting with changing a yeast over do you think that they will uh keep the name or disclose that it's uh the yeast change or or is it too early to know uh, I think it's a little too early to know but i don't think they will like advertise it necessarily right. um Breweries, production breweries don't typically like to advertise when they are making a big change to a recipe um, because consistency of brands is key. So, right. um, yeah, I doubt we'll advertise it, but it is cool to know that. But people do it all the time. Like, again, yeah. you're working with organic ingredients that every, you know, we were talking about the grain harvest is changed this year. The hops were bad last year, or not bad, but changed. Everything is so fluid that um you're always adapting your recipes that's not new um but i feel like sometimes the customer education point is like they think change is bad so um if you tell them that it's different then they're they may or may not think that is a good thing so and what what prompted the at the production brewery what prompted the decision to to try and switch out these like was it purely economics or are they trying to enhance the fruity flavors um, I think it was because I've made like five hazy IPAs with this different varieties of the yeast spikes, um, and our the head brewer over there has liked them and wanting to try to do their own over there, and it's been successful here, so it's easier to scale up now. Yeah, cool. The future. It, it is. It's, future. I think yeah, it really is. It's exciting, and I'm excited to see what we learn next, not just about Kvike, but about other yeast strains you know because there's beer all over the world that i've never had or we've never had that we've that will probably make it to the craft scene um it's just fun how we're always relearning things and learn you know or learning things in general it's exciting it makes beer fun yeah yeah and i think yeast is you know 
everybody's been excited about hops the last couple decades. And I think yeast is a new frontier uh, where I think a lot of consumers, uh, or sorry, a lot of brewers were would advertise the fact that they they were using traditional strains. Like, you know, we made our, our Belgian triple and we fermented it with, uh, you know, West Mall yeast or whatever. People were proud of using um, these historic strains of yeast. And I think now there's a desire to, as Richard was saying, as, as competition's gotten tighter and people need a marketing angle, I think we're going to see more and more um, adoption of novel yeasts, I think. I don't know. Richard, Lily, thoughts on that? I can go ahead if you want. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, like I think that we are entering into a phase, at least in craft beer, where um, a lot of the exciting innovation is in yeast, not to discount, you know, the stuff in the other uh, ingredients, but even on the hop side, it's like, well, where do we go from Sabro? Like we made hops taste like coconut, you know, we won, right? Um, I don't know where we go from there. Uh, whereas with yeast, there's, you know, there has been a lot of adherence to tradition for so long that a lot of obvious development and innovation has kind of just been like waiting to happen. And now that's starting to happen. Like you're seeing these um, bioengineered yeasts, um, especially in the US, just, you know, hitting the market and getting a lot of uptake way faster than anyone thought, like, um, whether it's, you know, the thiol enhanced yeasts or acid producing, like, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out. And then even just with our conventional strains, there's a lot of room for improvement, um, whether that's just, you know, breeding them to make new combinations, kind of like what's been done with hops for so long, or uh, just, you know, finding new ways to uh, to use the strain in new context, which is really the story of Kvike, right? Uh, having a yeast from a traditional farmhouse beer that that um, can find a lot of new homes. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, other farmhouse yeasts that are a lot more obscure than Kvike that you'll probably see coming out uh, sooner than later as well, right? So there's a lot of potential there, even just with stuff that's being discovered um, still all around the world. And that's not even to mention any of the stuff that's out there in nature and might have some interesting traits that we can, um, find ways to leverage in beer. Yeah. Lily. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I, um, I think yeast is the next, I hope also, I hope selfishly that yeast is the next like product of innovation in beer. Cause it's the thing that gives me the most joy and like why I love my job is because I get to, I have a wild room and a clean room. So I get to experiment with whatever yeast I want. And um, it's so fun. And I just want everyone to know how fun that flavor profile comes from. And there's a lot of breweries out there that have made their money on like fully focused on hops for a while. And I am so tired of having another version of an IPA with just the same malt bill, but different hops as a consumer i'm tired of that but i get stoked when there's something new with like a saison that has like a brett strain in it or you know a dry hop say saison or i don't know just fun sours and anything that you can imagine and i'm excited to see how the like yeast plays into that as well yeah. so fun it's exciting the future is fermentation <laughs> <laughs> i love it Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the All About Beer podcast today. We really appreciate your knowledge and I'm excited to see the future of Kvike. Thanks for having us. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Cheers. So what did you think about that, Em? So I thought that maybe I hadn't had a lot of Kvike beers, but I think now I've had a lot of them, <laughs> which is crazy. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think you probably have. I think that um, Kvike is such a new thing. Uh, and as you know, Richard kind of taught us like we're really, we're just at the beginning of the learning curve to figure out what we can do with this stuff. I think that's super interesting that, that there's um, so much still to learn. It's exciting. I'm really excited to see what the future is with uh, Kvike because it, it sounds really great. I love hazies. I live in New England. So I'm excited to try more hazies made with it. I'm excited to try some lagers made with it. It's it's a it's an exciting development in yeast. And yeah, the future is fermentation. <laughs>
Um, and I also like that it has, um, you know, there's some environmental aspects to it that, that people can save, uh, you know, use less energy when brewing, use less time. Uh, so, you know, I think we have to be conscious of these things as the craft, craft beer industry uh, continues to grow. I think, uh, I think we, need, we need to think about these questions. It's exciting. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah that, that's our show for the day. Uh, visit us at allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you want to throw us a couple bucks, please visit patreon.com forward slash allaboutbeer and you can support this show and others. If you have any questions for the experts, email podcast at allaboutbeer.com. That's also the email for feedback, suggestions, or to inquire about supporting the show through advertising. Well, speaking of advertising, here's a short word from our sponsors. This show is brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Athletic Brewing Company's award-winning craft non-alcoholic beers are fit for all times. Downtime, work time, game time, even gym time. Pick a time and grab an athletic because it's about time you could enjoy a great tasting brew anytime you want, even right now. Head to athleticbrewing.com and get some fresh brews delivered. New customers can even get 20% off with code ALLABOUTBEER20 and free shipping on two six-packs or more. Hi, this is John Hall, the editor of All About Beer, inviting you to check out the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast. It's available on all of the major platforms, and the weekly show features long-form conversations with brewers, growers, and personalities from the beer industry. New episodes release every Wednesday. Just search Drink Beer, Think Beer. Before we go, Don, how do I get in contact with you if I want to talk to you about beer? I am Don at thedawnofbeer.com is my email. And then on all socials, I'm at the Dawn of Beer. Pints and Panels is pintsandpanels.com is my website. Also on all social media channels at Pints and Panels. This show is produced by All About Beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com for articles, notes on the show and others, and to connect via the newsletter and social media. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.